0: Welcome to the final episode of Second Story Work, the novel. I'm Josh Cebulski. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey as I take you through my debut novel. Second Story Work was something that I worked on for 12 years, and it was certainly strange to release it into the world and have it no longer be a part of my life. To have shared it with the world was something that I truly enjoyed, and I hope that you enjoyed listening to it as well. This week, we're going to be listening to chapter 34, the final chapter of second story work. Last week, as you may remember, Mandy figured out just exactly who Derek is, and unfortunately for her, and for Derek's brother Danik, they met their demise. Enjoy chapter 34. Chapter 34, February 28th, 2010. Maddie was panicked as he drove through the suburbs of Maple Ridge. His plan had gone to shit, and he was scrambling. He was covered in the blood of Danik and Mandy. He drove over his parents' front lawn as he pulled his car into the driveway. He scrambled into the house, packed the bag, grabbed his mom's makeup, and walked to the garage. Approaching his father's BMW 535, he opened the door and climbed inside. He knew that every cop in BC would be looking for his car. He peeled out of his parents' garage and drove frantically towards the greater Vancouver city limits. He arrived at the boys' second storage unit and quickly scouted it for police. There wasn't a suspicious car in sight. He grabbed the keys, an empty suitcase, and walked to the boys' unit. Once inside, Matty packed his bag to the brim with cash. He wheeled the money back to his father's car, jumped inside, and drove until he found himself in downtown Kelowna. He abandoned the car a few blocks from a motel. He paid cash and checked into a room. He lay on his bed looking at his open suitcase filled with cash. He'd ended his own life, the life he knew anyway. He couldn't go back to his family or his friends. Vancouver, and all he knew would be a distant memory. He killed all of it and left it for dead in Derek's hotel room. Matty holed up in his motel room for the next three days, waiting for the heat to turn down so he could go back for the other storage unit. He needed it to pay back the cartel. The $2 was for him to start over. Matty's plan to get the second storage unit had been compromised. His original plan was to use George as a decoy while he jumped in and out of it. On his own, Matty knew he'd be hard-pressed to make a clean sneak. He mauled over his options while he waited for his beard to fill in so he could alter his appearance. All he needed was time. Three days later, Maddie looked like a different man. His beard had filled in, and he dyed his hair jet black. He used makeup to cover up his other features and wore blue contacts. He was prepared to return to Vancouver. He needed a car first, but he couldn't rent one. He couldn't buy one either. He'd have to steal it. Matty grabbed his luggage, put on a hoodie and a ball cap, and walked back out into the world. He looked around the parking lot. There wasn't a car in sight. He roamed the streets in search of the perfect car to take him to his destination. He walked down Water Street, past the Delta Grand Hotel, and spotted a parking lot full of cars. It was the Prospera Place Arena home of the Kelowna Rockets. Matty kept his head low as he surveyed the parking lot for a vehicle to steal. He spotted an early 2000s model Audi A4 with the windows rolled down. He approached the vehicle and peeked inside. The car was littered with food wrappers and other garbage. He opened the door and tossed his bag inside. He fidgeted with the car's steering column and worked along the dash to wire the car to start. The sun became a nuisance, so Matty flipped down the driver's visor, and the keys fell into his lap. He laughed. Kids are such idiots, he thought. He started the car and drove onto Water Street. Within minutes, he'd escaped Kelowna and was driving towards Vancouver. Matty arrived and drove straight to the storage unit. He parked in a spot where he could see the unit and the surveillance van at the same time. He watched for the remainder of the day and well into the evening. He needed to see a shift change. He wanted to know whether or not the police were still watching. Throughout the evening and overnight, nothing happened. Matty grew antsy. The following morning, he began to consider opening the door. Then, at 8 a.m., the van door opened and two officers jumped out. A ghost car pulled up and two men jumped out, trading places with the men in the van. Matty smiled. They were there and he knew how to get to them. He sat in the car for a few more hours. He had plenty of firepower to take the officers down and He just needed the cover of night to do so. The evening came and Matty grabbed his two guns and stepped out of his car. He approached the cube van from the back and prepared himself. He pulled out his automatic weapon and sprayed the back door of the cube van until the bullets ran out. He waited for the door to open. It didn't. The men inside were dead. Matty approached the van door and opened it. The computers and equipment inside the van were smoking. The officers were slumped over in their chairs with blood pooling beneath their feet. Maddie had killed them both. He shut the door and ran back to his vehicle. He drove it into the storage unit parking lot and pulled up in front of the door to the unit. He exited the car, smashed open the lock and walked inside. Just inside the door, there were bags and bags of the boy's money. Maddie opened the rear doors of his car and began transporting the cash from the unit to his vehicle. Moments later, he stacked the last of the money in the trunk and looked it over. Millions of dollars. He paused and took a deep breath. He still had to run. The cops be coming even harder. He had chalked up two more bodies. Matty locked the unit door with a new lock and turned to walk to his car. He caught a glimpse of a shadow and was quickly struck in the face with a wooden baseball bat. He fell to the ground, rattled, and stunned. He watched the shadow emerge from the darkness and approach him. He recognized his masked assailant. Derek had been watching the watchers, and Matty walked right into it. He looked up at Derek and spotted a second shadow. A man, shorter than Derek. Who was this? Matty wondered, until Derek hit him in the face a second time and knocked him unconscious. He grabbed Matty by the arm, flipped him over, and zip-tied his hands behind his back. The second man pulled a sedan next to Maddie's car. Derek and he picked Maddie up and tossed him in the trunk. After closing the trunk, Derek walked to the driver's side of Maddie's stolen Audi, opened the door, and climbed inside. He drove away, with the second man following. They drove towards Squamish. Derek made a left-hand turn on a dirt road and drove towards the water. The road opened up to an area that was all too familiar. It was where Derek and Hecky had disposed of a certain detective. They parked close to the water and exited their vehicles. Derek opened the door to the back seat and grabbed Maddie's bags. Across the parking lot was an additional car. Derek unlocked the vehicle with a fob and opened the trunk. He tossed the luggage and the money in the trunk of the other vehicle and walked back towards Maddie's car. He popped the trunk to Maddie's car and opened it. Maddie attempted to climb out but stopped after meeting Derek's fist. He slumped back inside and Derek pulled out the remaining bags of luggage. Derek walked over to the other vehicle and dropped the bags into the trunk. He picked up two large gas cans and walked back towards Maddie's car. Maddie's lip and nose were bleeding profusely down his face. Derek set the gas cans on the ground and pulled out a pack of cigarettes. He took two out of the pack and put them between his lips. Do you want to smoke, Maddie? Kind of hard to smoke it, Derek. Derek lit both cigarettes and placed one between Maddie's lips. They both took a drag and exhaled. Derek then reached in and took the cigarette from Maddie's lips. Maddie attempted to bite him. Derek moved quickly and slapped Maddie in the face. Fuck you, Sarge. Do your fucking worst. Derek took his cigarette and put it out on Maddie's cheek. Ah, fuck! yelled Maddie. Derek picked up a pop can off the ground and stood back up. He took another drag of his cigarette. Maddie... I don't need to tell you that you took everything from me. You set yourself up for that, Derek. If not me, someone else would have. Then I would have done to them what I'm going to do to you. Derek dropped his cigarette into the pop can and set it on the ground. He stood back up and picked up the first gas can. He uncapped it and soaked Maddie head to toe. He grabbed the second can and soaked the inside of the vehicle. Derek tossed both gas cans in the back seat and shut the door. Maddie began to yell. Help! Help! The masked man punched Maddie and he slumped back into the trunk. Derek stood over him, looking down. You know, Maddie, we ripped off your parents, too. Maddie looked up at Derek. I know. Hecky he told me. Derek pulled out a gun, pointed it at Maddie, and stood over him. How fitting is this, Derek? You killing me the way I killed your girl and your brother? Derek paused and looked at the gun. Hecky, he too. I never shot Hacky. I did, replied Derek. He wasn't dead when I got to his folks' place. He laid there for three fucking days, choking on his own blood. And then when I got there, he asked me to put him down. Maddie nodded his head, remorseless for what he'd done. Derek continued. You took that from me, Maddie. I'd never killed anyone. Yeah, Derek, well, you better hide that gun well. Cops would love to shut the door on three murders tied to it. Two murders, replied Derek. What? asked Maddie. Derek wiped the gun down with a rag and dropped it in the trunk next to Maddie. Matty's eyes became large as Derek pulled out a Zippo and lit it. Matty watched Derek toss the lighter into the trunk and he screamed. The trunk became engulfed in flames. Derek turned and walked away from the car while Matty screamed in agony as his body cooked inside the Derek and the masked man walked towards their getaway vehicle. They climbed into the car and Derek started it. He turned the car around and took one last look at the fire. He could still hear Maddie's screams. He wasn't dead yet. Derek drove up the dirt road towards the Sea to Sky Highway. As he was about to turn onto the highway, he heard the car explode. He made the turn and disappeared. The following day, Maddie's stolen getaway vehicle was discovered outside of Squamish. The emergency response was large. Maddie's torched body was discovered in the trunk. Anna arrived on the scene hours after investigators had started their search for clothes. The torch car was still smoldering as firemen tried to put it out. The search had already begun for the car that Derek and the mask man had used to drive from the storage unit. Anna spoke with some plainclothes officers. Who's the Vic? Our best guess is that it's your suspect in the downtown double. Someone finally caught up to him, said Anna as she nodded. Looks that way. Is there anything from either car? Anna asked. Well, your burner was stolen out of Kelowna a couple days ago. This one was taken out of Burnaby yesterday, said the officers, as he pointed at the second vehicle. Anything in it? Anna wondered. "And we got a pretty good partial. We'll run it. See what we get. Let me know said Anna as she walked back to her car and drove back to Vancouver. She was done for the time being. It would take days to get information from the crime scene. The car near Squamish was out of her jurisdiction, but the overall scope of her case against Derek and the boys allowed her to coordinate with other police and task forces. Anna walked into the police station three days later and made her way to her cubicle in the bullpen. She'd spent the past two days waiting for results on a partial fingerprint. At 10 a.m. she was approached by a lab technician and handed an envelope that contained the results from the partial fingerprint. Your fingerprint analysis, said the young lab tech. Anna opened the envelope and found a single sheet of paper. What's this? She asked. Yeah, it's the weirdest thing. I ran it through the DB and nothing came up, but it got a restricted Interpol hit. What? Asked Anna, shocked. Ten minutes later, Anna was handed an envelope with the information about her victim in the burned-up car. She looked down at the second envelope. Maddie was her victim. She knew it was Derek. She walked to her desk. She was staring at the envelope when two members of Interpol approached her. Miss Johnson? Asked the taller of the two men. Yes? She replied. We'd like to speak with you. What is this about? Anna asked. In private, please. Said one of the men. Anna stood up from her seat and walked the two men to an interrogation room. She shut the door and sat across from them. What can I do? Asked Anna. Miss Johnson, we'd like to know a little bit more about the prints that you ran. Sure. Anna agreed. It was a gang murder near Squamish. Retaliation. The victim killed the perp's brother and girlfriend. This perp, how old is he? 24. Replied Anna. The men looked at one another, confused hmm okay what is it asked Anna her curiosity now stoked oh it's just not our guy replied one of the agents are you sure there isn't another man involved he continued Anna furrowed her brow an older man no okay the man replied okay seriously what's going on why are you interested in this Anna asked this stays here Miss Johnson sure Anna replied as she leaned in across the table. So your partial belongs to a Polish thief named Zagadka. Interpol's been after him for 30 years. Who is he? Anna wondered. He might be the greatest thief who has ever lived. No one's ever even had a look at this guy. How do you have his prints then? Anna followed up. So he was pursued and almost caught in 1983. A suitcase he dropped had his fingerprint on it. He went underground and then complete silence until today. So ho, ho, hold on, Anna put up her hands, stopping the men in the middle of their story. This guy waits 30 years to surface and he pops up in BC to off a kid on a dope beef? I doubt it, one of the men replied. can never killed. That's what made him so good. He never committed a violent crime. Could it be a coincidence, said Anna? Could he have driven that car maybe at another point in time? This kid, this seerzant kid, he's Polish? Asked the man. He told me one time that he was Kashubian, Anna replied. The two men from Interpol looked at one another. We need to bring him in. April, 2010. Derek's eyes grew tired. It was 4 p.m. and he'd been driving for 10 straight hours. It was the tail end of a 40-hour drive from Squamish to Pennsylvania. He turned left on Grandview Avenue in the Mount Washington neighborhood of Pittsburgh. Derek shook his passenger awake and locked his eyes back on the road. His passenger shifted in his seat and began to wake up. Derek drove past the Duquesne incline and felt all emotion come over him. He'd lost everything, his brother, his mother, his friends, and Mandy. He pulled off on the right hand of the street and stopped the car. Derek stepped out and walked into Point of View Park, on the side of Mount Washington. Wyatt followed him and sat down beside him. Derek looked out over Heinz Field, Carnegie, and downtown Pittsburgh. He thought back to his days there with Mandy. They'd stood in that very park, imagining a life together. Derek held back tears as he thought about Mandy and how unfair life had been for her. He managed to do the thing that he promised he wouldn't. He let his world ruin hers. He had it all. And yet he had nothing. He was on top of the world and at rock bottom. He had his freedom, his guilt, his money, and his father. Derek turned to his passenger and smiled. His dad smiled back. The statue depiction of George Washington and Suda was a perfect analogy for Derek and Zagadka. Their weapons down, finally meeting face to face, showing each other who they really were neither proud of what they were, but accepting of the prison that they'd built for themselves. Derek was his father's son. He was a master thief and an escape artist. That's it for Second Story Work, the novel. Thank you so much for coming on this journey with me. I hope it was worth your time. Again, if you enjoy my work, please look for my upcoming book titled Clean Jackson*. It's once again going to be a neo-noir crime drama. I hope you check it out. If you like my work, please follow me on Facebook or Instagram at Author Josh Cebulski. And again, I am on Twitter at Author Jay Cebulski. And if you like podcasts, please check out my podcast titled Second Story, where I talk to guests who have gone through a major change in their life that sent them down a different path. This was Second Story Work, the novel. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to it. Be well.